Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wiki Weekdays podcast. I am Lucas Holland, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, the lovely Carl Smallwood. I am lovely. Thank you very much for saying that, Lucas. As Carl's just like, oh god, what, what's in my water? Yeah, it's got... Do you when you get a water bottle? And my old one's like... <laughs> it just, just wasn't the, right. It just, the, the, the water doesn't taste right. Mm-hmm. It's a weird thing to say about water, but the water didn't taste right. And for anyone watching the video rather than listening uh, on a podcast service, just bear in mind Carl's camera just froze like four times before we started the recording, so just bear with us if that happens. I might randomly disappear, and then for the folks at home just listening to this, like, first of all, hello, uh, but you might just randomly hear me go, oh, for fuck's sake, if my camera turns <laughs> off midway through recording. <laughs> so also, you'll know what just, that is. I may gently place the the bottle of water onto the desk as gently as I can, which is apparently... Just hits with the sound of like you know a thousand galloping hoofs. I don't know what the difference is because like, I mean, I guess let us know in the comments, but probably just don't. But like, with Black Fiend, we get those comments of like Carl's like breaking the desk in half, and then Put, we don't. My hands since gently on like the you've desk. got a mic on, we haven't had those comments over here, and yeah, I is... edit both sides of things, so like it's not as if or maybe an editor's doing the audio differently. It's like it's me. And here's a fun fact as well, this mic arm, this shock mount, is connected to a table that's not the table that I'm presenting from, specifically <laughs> any- to avoid that. Anyway, yes. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Welcome to the Wiki Week Days podcast, where both Carl and I bring a wiki for you to trial through each week, and we do our best to make it entertaining for you all at home, mm-hmm. or, you know, listening in your car or wherever you happen to be at the time. Someone's in, in their car, yeah. It's going hopefully, hopefully, Carl. We'll bring uh, another entertaining wiki this week. What have you got yes. for us? Well, it's uh, something I'm doing this year, or at least you know, everyone has goals for New Year's, right? Mm, I, I try not to, to I, be I, honest. I don't set specific goals because specific goals are those things like then you're going to get disheartened. I set mm. more nebulous ones. And like One of the things I want to do this year is read more books. A lot of people say they want to read more, but I specifically am reading books I read in school. Mm. So I'm thinking, like, you know, when you're a kid, like, you just want to read through it as quickly as possible to get done with it. So you're going back to, like, the Harry McClary, stuff like that, yeah? Yeah. Well, like, they... They're, like, for, like, four-year-olds. Oh, no, no, not like that. But, like, you know, the books <laughs> yeah, I read in, yeah. like, literature class and stuff like that. See, mm-hmm. just, is there anything that I missed? And also, these are, like, classics of the genre. I should probably familiarize myself with them. So I'm not the biggest fan of, like, modern fiction. Like, it just, I just, I just, it's not for me. Like I said, I've read, but I do read some like read like the Jack Reacher books. Read a couple of those. Like I've mm-hmm. read uh, novelizations of films because I quite enjoy like you know the differences that you get between them. Mm-hmm. Like I met a try to get like through Lord of the Rings because our old housemate had one of those, and I think I got like I got to the hundredth page, and it's just like 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 Sindar of the blah 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 blah. blah. I went enough mm-hmm. for this. It's like it's like reading the Bible, which I also had to read in school. It's one of those things where it's like I understand that. Lord of the Rings and that universe is fundamental to like how we have high fantasy in the modern day. Yeah, but it's also just filled with proper nouns that you've got to remember. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I can't. It's be like bothered. same same thing like Game of Thrones, where I tried to read Game of Thrones. My next girlfriend of mine was like recommending the books to me. I got like you know halfway through the first book and went, I'm just not enjoying this. Like I'm not mm-hmm. enjoying this world. This world has not grabbed me or arrested my attention. And one of the benefits of like some of the older like, works of literature is that generally they're, they're a lot shorter. Obviously, there are exact exemptions to all rules. Like Taylor Two Cities is like this fucking thick. 
You're not making it through yeah. that in an afternoon. But like a lot of the stories that I'm rereading are like, you know, 100 pages. And these are oh. like these classic seminal works of fiction that have, influ- have influence that he's felt to this day. Yeah, that's the weird thing. It's like um, I've got the complete works of Shakespeare, and it's like, it's like that. Like isn't it? it's just it. Like obviously, it's a play, not a novel. But like mm-hmm. it's just one pretty beefy book, and it's all of his entire work with cliff notes on them all. And like one of the single most influential, like you know, authors of like you know, ever. Really, yeah, I guess. All if time, really, about, yeah. If you're talking about like modern um, uh, like work. Like we've been ripping his stuff off for years. Um, similarly, there's like, you know, Sherlock Holmes. I've read a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stories because they're like, you know, 150 pages long. There's like 20 mm-hmm. of them. And like, again, they're still being adapted to this day. But the story that I, you know, read right at the start of the year was War of the Worlds. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I'm familiar with it being a novel, but um, mm-hmm. the only thing I've sadly seen is the the movie version of it. Well, that's thing. There's which movie version? Because there's several. There's a TV show. It's like one of the most like heavily adapted um, uh, works of science fiction. I think like the most modern one, right? The one that came out in like the mid two thousands. The Tom Cruise one. Yes, yeah. Which I think is good. And that's one of the things I did as well, I'm, because I'm reading these classic works of literature. I can then watch the adaptation. So after I read the book, I went and watched like the Tom Cruise movie. And then there was like, I didn't watch the entire series, but there's like a series um, that was made for British television that is more accurate to the books. Yeah, you know, I remember hearing like the old War of the Worlds was a very good adaptation. There's also the adaptation, like the very famous Orson Welles reading, which. No, for anyone who's like going to say it, like it didn't cause mass panic. The, the story is it, it was so realistic it caused mass panic. It's like no, a few people called up to complain because it was like <laughs> a one-off thing. It wasn't this. Apparently, it was like it cut off the football results or something. Oh wow, yeah. And then that's like, going to piss British people off. And then a couple of kids got scared, and parents called up to complain, which the news blew out of proportion. Said people were like panicking in the streets. It's like no one was panicking in the streets. Oh. It was it was very well documented that it was going to happen ahead of time, but a few people just didn't realise that what it was. They were more confused than anything. Are you saying that the news would fear monger? Because that doesn't sound like the news to me. Well, one of the things that struck me when I was reading through the book is, is like people just don't care about the aliens. Oh, really? Like, they, yeah. they treat the aliens more as like, you know, a, a curiosity. Mm-hmm. And it's written in a very like, odd way, but you know what, we can get to that now. So, The War of the Worlds is a science fiction novel by English author H.G. Wells. And do you know what H.G. stands for? I didn't until I read this book. Um, Histogister. It's Herbert George. Like, oh, the okay. two yeah. most boring names. Yeah, yeah. You can see why he went by H.G. Um, it was written between 1895 and 1897 and serialized in Pearson's magazine and Cosmo magazine in the U.S. <laughs> Cosmopolitan, like, ten ways to drive your man wild in bed and the continuation of War of the Worlds. <laughs> the full novel was published in hardcover in 1898 with um, uh, by William Heinemann. The War of the Worlds is one of the earliest stories to detail conflict between humankind and an extraterrestrial race. It is a first-person narrative of an unnamed protagonist in Surrey and his much younger brother in London in southern England as invaded by the Martians. It is one of the most common-upon works in the science fiction canon. And that's the thing as well, like, because it's it's quintessentially British and it is very specifically set in, like, you know, pre-World War I Britain. Yeah, I didn't realise how, quite how old it was. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the fact that it's, like, late 1800s, did you just say that, like... And one of the things that's, like, cool about the books is, obviously, the the period. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's it's pre, like, it's just on the tail end of the Victorian era before, like, you know, the World War One, the age of like iron. So think about like you know what H.G. Wells predicted with this of like you know lumbering behemoths of metal that are like seemingly impossible to kill that can rain down fire from the skies. That's a tank. Yeah. That's a tank. That's a. It was like you know they could fly around in these huge spaceships like, and drop a, things anywhere bombers, on Earth, right? Yeah, like. Yep. And that's one of the things about science fiction of like they inadvertently or sometimes correctly predict the future, whether knowingly or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like. The vague descriptions can kind of fit a couple of different things, but mm-hmm. inevitably, like, yeah, the idea of, oh, my God, like, this big metal machine that, as you say, like, rains, like, hellfire from above. It's like, we invented that later down the line. Like, yeah. not not me and you. We as a species. We as a species, yes. And, and I do like the way they're described. I like the way, like, they're just described, like, the, these weird, like, newly appendages walking around. And one of the things that I've really appreciated is knowing like so i knew in my head oh it's set long ago i didn't realize how long ago it was set mm-hmm. yeah and how long ago it was written but also like as i mentioned that tv adaptation when it's actually set in that period oh, so it's cool. like it's a period drama but then aliens show up which is actually yeah. a really interesting novel concept like, yeah, you're watching is. a period drama and then fucking aliens turn up and i do really enjoy um you know designs that the designs are so cool. Further out there, as you say, like these big, weird, like monolithic, like the tripods are so iconic. Massive yes. tripod things, yeah. Like just the idea that like they they were written in like the late eighteen hundreds is wild because like people still to this day are like, I guess it's a big circular UFO. Yeah, it's, it's so boring. The the plot is similar to other works of invasion literature from the same period and has been variously interpreted as a commentary on the theory of evolution, imperialism, and the Victorian era fears, superstitions, and prejudices. Which, you know, nothing is created in a vacuum, and even if those things weren't intended, it's natural to draw assumptions like that from the work. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. H.G. Wells lived in, you know, that time period. Like, you know, his biases are going to be present on the page, whether intentional or not. And, like, I was going to say, this was literally... Before you know, we've gotten to a point where an entire world was at war. Like yep. world wars didn't happen yet. Like obviously, a lot of big wars spanning across the globe had happened in the past. But like, yep. so, yeah, Wells later noted that the inspiration um, for the plot was the catastrophic effect of the European colonization on the Aboriginal Tasmanian people. Which, yep. Fair enough, and it says that uh, some historians have argued that Wells wrote the book to encourage his readership to question the morality of British imperialism. Again, you know, we did a lot of horrible shit, and it's that thing is, it's like, and reading the book, I can absolutely one hundred percent see that, like, you know, just jumping off the page. It is not the subtext; it is the text. It's like we think we're the most advanced people in the world. What happens when you know a, a race ever more, even more advanced than ours? encroaches on our territory and he talks about how do the aliens the martians even know we're here do they even care that they're wiping out entire like you know cities lineages families mm-hmm. or do they think of us the same way we think of the ants do they think of us as the other peoples we've displaced do we care it's just it's amazing to hear that back like pre-world war one there was someone like you know writing a book criticizing the idea of like the British Empire, and you you still get people like hanging up their bunting flags, mm-hmm. like nah, man, bring us back to the British Empire. It's like it's twenty twenty four, and people still haven't got the fucking message of like yeah. maybe we were the bad guys. 
Here's an interesting fact. At the time of publication, the book was classified as scientific romance, uh, much oh. like Wells' earlier novel, The Time Machine, because science fiction hadn't really been invented yet. And in fact, yeah. it was being pioneered as this um, uh, story was being written and published. Science romance, that's wild. It is, it is a romance. It's a guy trying to find his wife. I mean, yeah, but like, obviously, if you had asked me where does it fit, I'd be like, oh, well, sci-fi, because like, it's one of the sci-fi is works. a thing in my brain. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but it wasn't really a thing back then. So The War of the Worlds has been popular, um, having never been out of print and very influential, spawning numerous films, radio dramas, a record album, comic book adaptations, television series, sequels, parallel stories by other authors, and was memorably dramatised in 1938 um, uh, by Orson Welles, who directed and starred in the um, adaptation. The novel um, even influenced the works of noted scientists, Robert H. Goddard, who was inspired by the book and helped develop both the liquid-fueled rocket and multi-stage rocket, which, in you know, in the process of being invented, resulted in the Apollo 11 moon landing 71 years later. <laughs> and that's just like you know the power of fiction, right there. So people say like. Is it worth... And this is what the thing I learned in school, like, when we got taught this. So, like, you know, it's an old book from 100 years ago. Why does it matter? A movie starring Tom Cruise got made this year with this... About this book. When we were in school, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still important. And then they talked about how, like, you know, it... Okay, the stuff in it sounds fantastical, but then that's what our teacher said. Like, remember, this was written before tanks existed. The idea of, like, you know, a roaming, huge metallic behemoth that can wipe out scores of people. That's a tank. They didn't exist at the time. They did exist in the mind of the author. And again, like the influence it's had is like, you might think like, oh, well, you know, yeah, sure. They you, you wrote about like the, these big giant metal monsters. Like, how is this going to impact people? It's like, well, it influenced somebody to help essentially get a man on the moon. Yep. Like in, in a multiple steps in the way. Yeah, yeah. But like the fact that it can have those influences and those inspirations even in a small way. Yeah, and like, you know, ramifications, which I felt hundreds of years later. Mm-hmm. We have here, so the plot, very basic, but we have opened with one of the earliest lines of the book. Yet, across the gulf of space, minds that are to our minds... Oh, sorry. Yet, across the gulf of space, minds that are to our minds, as ours are to those of the beasts that perish, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic, regard this earth with envious eyes, and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. And that gets truncated often. Because that's a bit wordy, but it gets like the mm-hmm. idea of just eye, like, you know, an intellect from beyond the stars, eyeing humanity greedily and enviously mm-hmm. of what we have. And that is a very, very common, like, you know, trope in film now, like Independence Day, District 9. Like, you know, just aliens, they want something that we have. Mm-hmm. And they're going to come here and get it. Yeah, and just like, it's it's wild that kind of, yeah, the the idea of like, oh, it being like this vast um, race from like thousands of miles away, or you know, however far away they're meant to be from. But it's like, are they just from Mars? Is that the story? They and are from the, Mars, yes. And yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, it's not entirely accurate. There's some things that Wells got eerily correct, and there's some things that he was way off on. But he was inspired by, like, you know, the current leading theories and minds on the subjects at the time and he talks about the martians coming to earth and stealing our shit and i it's just one of the things that i when i was watching the um uh, the adaptations that struck me is there's a bunch of stuff from the books that 
from the book, I should say that, just isn't in adaptations. Mm. For example, like the War of the Worlds one, the Tom Cruise one. Mm-hmm. Like just the, the, the Martians absolutely fucking annihilate us. We've got no chance. Mm. Right, like, yeah. No chat, right? They, act, they just curb stomp everybody. In the book, we do manage to take out a few of the tripods and the tripods retreat, which I oh, thought right, was quite... Okay. Yeah. Obviously, it's a, it's a fucking struggle, mm-hmm. but they do take out a few of them. And I think they mention that in the Tom Cruise one. But Joe, they mention of like, what the fuck are these things? I think they have a nod to the original novel where they say, apparently in Britain they managed to kill one of these things, but reports aren't clear. Right. Like, we're not sure. Like, okay. Apparently someone took one out, but we don't know how. And the way they take it out is they just fucking annihilate it with artillery. Just <laughs> basically just the second it appears, they just bomb it with artillery from second one. It's just what what you do against it. It's like, I don't know, just throw everything we've got. Yeah, and then they have the heat ray, which is like a terrifying, a terrifying mm-hmm. concept. Again, but you know, we're still developing something similar to like, you know, laser beams and heat rays are a thing that have been in fiction for, like, you know, over 100 years now, and we're still trying to make them. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me, you, you said you mentioned the Tom Cruise one, that's the one you're familiar with. Do you I mean, recall, vaguely, I watched it, like, when it came out, so... Do you recall the noise that the heat ray makes in that film? Not really, no. I Obviously, we can't put a clip in, but if anyone at home just goes and Googles, like, go onto YouTube and go watch the scene where the Martians emerge, the tripods mm. emerge. One of the cool things I like is that first you get the foot of the, the Martian tripod, and I found out after the fact, like, yeah, that was a deliberate thing because in the trailer, they deliberately didn't show you the tripods. And you see the foot of a tripod. Oh, is that the tripod? No, no, that's the foot of a tripod. And then like right. skyscraper size in the Tom Cruise one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the noise massive. that it makes of it spinning up is like, and it's very odd, despite you know being American and like a bit more action packed. Like it's very close to what the novel describes. Like people just mostly just stand there like, the fuck is this thing? Mm. And then you see the and just it just incinerates people. It's um. It reminds me a little bit of you just saying like they just kind of stand there in awe of it. Yeah. Um, one movie that I do like about like aliens, like quote unquote invading or coming to, to Earth is um, the movie Arrival. Where yes. it's like, oh, we just have this big giant monolith floating up, like vaguely we above don't, we multiple don't know locations. And they just like send in a tent full of like scientists and people to just. See what the fuck's going on. Figure out how the fuck we're supposed to communicate with these things. Like, mm-hmm. We don't know what they are. Like, communicate with them. And it's just, yeah, the idea that not like, oh, something has just appeared on the planet, let's fucking run. It's like, no, let's what is it? Like, yeah. actually be curious about what this thing is and go investigate. Yeah, and the thing that struck me about the book is like the, um, just the idea that people are talking like, is it true there's like aliens knocking about now? And it's like... Yeah, I got bored, so I left. It's like, you got bored of the aliens? <laughs> well, that, like the idea that you know, the um, uh, the British Navy might just take one of these things out and they retreat, which is not in the books. Oh, it's mm. not in the, well, a lot of the films, but they do have that in the um, uh, that TV show. They might just take one out. Right, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just... it, that thing, though, of like when you, when you have to put all that effort into taking one out, yeah. and it's like, oh no, how many more of these have they got? That's what they do have as well. Yes, they have um, uh, like just they arrive in the pods, and then just more pods arrive. And at first, obviously, it's like, oh, it's curious. Like more pods are arriving. I wonder, and they go there with a, a white flag to say, "Hey, Martians, we're here." 
So what's going on then? <laughs> also, though, you actually see the Martians. You don't see them because they're described, but you see the Martians in the book before like the tripods come, whereas in the at least the Tom Cruise uh. one, just the tripods just fucking burst out immediately. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you never see the um, uh, the aliens in the Tom Cruise version. I didn't think you did, yeah. I was trying to remember whether you did or not. There is like a Easter egg of like when one of the tripods is being exploded. If you look really carefully in like the top right hand corner, you see one of the aliens come to the window. That oh, was more right. like just a, a you know an Easter egg from um, uh, the CG developers or the CG guys behind the scenes. Carl, why would they put windows on spaceships? It's so stupid. <laughs> but that's something they are really fun now. Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it was yeah. a fun read, and I just liked it as well because like just most of it is just him just hiding in his house. Of like, the fuck are we supposed to do about this? Like, yeah, that's right, that's realistic. So I am curious, like, you wrote, like, uh, you, sorry, not wrote, you've read the novel and it mm. was, like, a, a, an edition, I presume, that's, like, you know, maybe got a couple of edits, but it is essentially the 1898 version, right? Yeah, there's, like, and my I got the version closest to the original because there are mm-hmm. more modernised versions that would have, like, just... Words that aren't in use anymore. As a one example, yeah. here, he meets a curate when he goes back to his thing. A curate is just a priest. Because that's what I was going to ask. I was like, if it's quite close to the original version, like I was curious of like how different was the language like when you're talking like late 1800s. Some of it is annoying. Like mm-hmm. not even annoying. Some of it's just it's difficult to pass because just it was written by a hand that lived a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's like a lot of archaic terms, and helpfully the book does include annotations and a bibliography, which cool. are, you know for some things like I'm like, okay, he's talking about this curate. The fuck is a curate? He's like, is if he's talking about it as if I should know what it is. And went, it's a priest, because... so, a, a man of a cloth. I went, okay, fine, I can, I have an anal- an analog for that in my head. I'll just substitute priest in every time he says this word. Yeah, I was just like, oh, wasn't sure how it was um, published because I'm. I presume there's also versions, as you say, like where instead of including those old terms, they then translate and replace those terms yeah. in some way. That's the thing. That's the, like, just adaptations that exist. And like, I got a version that is as close to the original as possible, to the point, mm-hmm. like, you know, to my detriment for a lot of it. So I was looking, what the fuck does that mean? It's like, okay, there's an annotation here. It's because the back of the book explains to me what this is. It's like, oh, thank you. And then again, that's just my brain of like, I'd like to know. That that's the way I would prefer to read it. Yeah, is like it would be able to kind of actually show how much language has evolved over the past like hundred and twenty years. Whereas, like, obviously, you know, a lot of people go through high school and they do some Shakespeare and they're like, I can't comprehend how I these people pass, are talking. Yeah. And that's like you know that it's and I'm gonna put the blame on teachers a lot of this because they'll say, mm-hmm. oh, Shakespeare is. It's classics. It's like, but the kid doesn't know that. Yeah. And I think something we talked about when we did a video a few weeks ago, months ago now, um, about uh, Citizen Kane. Right, and, yeah. Uh, I mentioned, like, I was so frustrated as, like, when I first started learning about film that every time Citizen Kane came up in a conversation with, like, you know, in film school, I was like, it's the best film I've ever made. It's a, a classic. But no one would ever tell you why. Because mm. to most people, the reasons why... It seemed, why would I need to tell you why Citizen Kane is the greatest movie ever made? It's the greatest movie ever made, it's Citizen Kane. But as someone who's just coming into the conversation learning about film, I want to know why. And I remember once where, and I always appreciate my um, first media teacher for doing this, he said that, he went, Citizen Kane is a classic. And then he went, 
And for anyone wondering why, because I can imagine you watch it and you think, well, okay, it's a good movie, it's well acted, well made. What is it about this movie that makes it the greatest movie ever made? Can you explain very simply, it's one of the first movies to be filmed like a movie. A lot mm-hmm. of like, you're seeing like shot, you singled out a few scenes like, you see this here, this is what's called like, you know, this is a, 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 a track, I don't know the exact term he used because it's been a year, ages since I watched it. it was a, this is a modern filmmaking technique and he showed us examples mm-hmm. from like, you know, films from like the 80s and the 90s and you know, it's a modern one. When Orson Welles invented this shot. Mm-hmm. This did not exist prior to this film. Then he went through a bunch of other things that I you know this was pioneering since again that relevant to it. That is why it's one of the greatest films ever made. I was like, and I appreciated that. Yeah, it's kind of similar how to earlier when I said like, oh, Lord of the Rings is just full of things that nowadays we see as tropes. Yeah, like but elves. Like, like, yeah, it was one of the things that established those tropes, but from a modern lens, if you don't have the context, it's not very impressive because it's like, well, there's so many things I can read with like elves and dwarves and shit in yeah, it. Yeah, why do I? Why should I give a shit about this? Same way, like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. When I first started learning about Shakespeare, something like I'm guessing a lot of people might have experienced is they put on a film that's an adaptation of a piece of Shakespeare's work. Like The Lion King is is Hamlet, right? It's Hamlet Basically, with, like, Hamlet. Yeah, it's Hamlet with lions. Uh, there's like. Oh, what's the other one? What's the one that I watch now? There's that really great, just one-to-one like script make with the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in it. That has the it's modern in the sense that it's filmed in a modern way, but the language is still Shakespeare's language. Is that the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet? You think? I think of? so. Yeah, we watched right. that. Yeah, where, yeah with even the guns. though you don't understand what's being said because it's filmed with modern actors and using modern techniques, you can like you know you slowly start to put it together in your head, and I know that's like really divisive a lot of people like it a lot of people don't yeah like i think there's there's room for both types of interpretations like i'm glad that that's not the only version of Romeo and Juliet i've watched but it's interesting to see it and you know obviously you've also got other things like um clearly Romeo and Juliet was inspired by it it's like, yep. no, it well, like it's a classic story and I mean, yeah you just I mean, get no, I- all kinds of different adaptations of it and stuff it's like yeah I remember the explanation I got to like why it's important. Like our literary teacher just teach pointing out words. So like, what's this word mean? So Shakespeare invented that. That wasn't a word <laughs> that existed. Shakespeare just yeah. made up a new word like for hundreds a new of words. thing. And now that's still used today. That's why Shakespeare that's the question, like, why is this important? And without that context, you'd read and go, okay, it's awkward to read. Sure, I guess like two people fall in love and then everything goes to shit. That's not mm-hmm. a very interesting or original novel idea. It was at the time. And um, it'd be interesting to, like, I remember, you know, in school as well, going through um, some, like, Greek stuff. I remember doing, like, yeah, we, tragedies, we did, yeah. like, a, a play, um, Agamemnon, which I, I think is similar, you know, in the veins of, like, um, Homer's Odyssey and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But is it... I can't imagine what reading like that original language text would be like to one modern person. Like you just wouldn't understand any of it. Yeah, but to, to bring it back to my point, I was making like mm-hmm. the one that you introduced. If it, I think it it comes on a teacher because a lot of teachers would fall and think like, well, I already know that Shakespeare is important, and then to have someone say, why should we give a shit about Shakespeare? That would piss you off. Like it's one of the most important authors of like you know history. But I feel like you. you Sometimes the context of you need to tell them why it's one thing to say why Shakespeare is important, why like you know War of the Worlds is important. You need to explain mm-hmm. why it's important. Like why is this still 
held in such high regard hundreds of years after the fact. Because you have to explain the context of, yeah, when this sci-fi book was written, sci-fi didn't exist yeah, yet. To the point where like... they, it was science romance. It was Cyro. <laughs> So they, also, but yeah, if you don't teach people those like context clues and like explain the situation of the time, it it's just like oh, well, it's another alien invasion thing. Why would I care? Yeah, this is one of the first alien invasion. It's not the first. Obviously, there was people telling the idea, but it also as well makes use of probably one of the most hated literary techniques. Okay, so Lucas, what would you say is the single most hated? Just storytelling trope. For me, it's probably it was all a dream. It was all a dream, and then what's the mm-hmm. other one? Um, there's two. So it's all a, it was all a dream. Fucking sucks. Everyone hates that. There's another sucks, one. Yeah. Um, it has a very specific, cool sounding name. Okay, then I'm I'm not thinking of the right thing then. Deus Ex Machina. Oh right, of course. Yes. And Deus Ex Machina, and I have it here. It's literally like God from the Machine. So essentially, just. Something that was never explained just miraculously happens and solves the issue. And in War of the Worlds, it's just all the aliens die. <laughs> and why do they die, Lucas, if you remember? I don't remember. It's been that long. They are not used to earthly pathogens. So, oh, they... so just like a cold kills them all. Yep. So while they built their great and powerful machines that dwarfed our um, firepower and like military might, they were taken down by a lowly germ. They underestimated the literal smallest, lowliest creature on our planet. I wonder if there's any message there. If, like, the great invaders <laughs> were taken down by them not understanding the land which they were trying to take over. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But that's, a, that's a, you know, a popular and early, obviously, Deus Ex Machina goes all the way back to the fucking, as you mentioned, like, ancient plays, because yeah. could, God could just come down in one of those plays and fix everything. <laughs> Zeus could just turn up and fix like what the problem of the day. Yeah, oh, yeah. And Deus Ex Machina. It's a trope to this day, as you say, like a very, very common trope. It, it's just something that was completely unexplained, came out of nowhere, solved the problem. Solved the problem, God from the machine. And it's like, and what would you say is more frustrating for you? Would you say Deus Ex Machina is more annoying, or would you say just it was all a dream? Because it was all a dream is fucking infuriating. Uh, it, it, I, it's I, all a dream is the worst one for me. I feel like Deus Ex Machina can be done well. It That's the thing can is like, be done well. Yeah, okay. You can see like the idea of like, well the germs just killed them as like a Deus Ex Machina. And it's, but at least it like holds ground of explanation. Yeah, like it, it annoys you, but at least there's an explanation for it. And you can after the fact go, okay, I guess that does make sense. It's annoying that it wasn't introduced at any point in the text prior, but I can see why it wouldn't because the you know the main character of War of the Worlds is just like, well I'm fucking being like, you know, just these tripods are shooting lasers at my ass. Why would I stop to think about this? Mm-hmm. At least, like, you know, sometimes, not all the time, it can feel, like, you know, congruous to the world which has been built. But it was all always a dream. It's just like, fuck it. Like, yeah, none of this ever <sighs> mattered at all. And, like, no, nothing especially, mattered. like, you know, if there's character growth and arcs and stakes, it's all just annihilated immediately. Let's think, what's like the last film that you watched to add that in? Because obviously there's some classic examples of it, but I can't think of any, because I don't think about films that actively piss me so, off. I, I don't watched, want to think about them. I recently watched an anime adaptation that had it. Oh, and um, it, What I'll say is it was on Netflix, and it's an adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. 
Oh, and did and it just end with they were all asleep? And it's, they were just all in a, a joint dream. Do you know what? Let's bring it up. Because obviously it's, it's uh, classic, like, isn't it? It's so frustrating. They were all just in like a traumatic event and all like went into a shared dream within a coma. That fucking... <gasps> oh, yeah, I found an example. The butterfly effect. There's the butterfly okay. effect, which just ends with like, they undo the entire story. Yeah. That's one. The descent also does it. It was all a dream. Right, yeah. It's it's like one of those things of, I guess I should have seen it coming with it being like a manga adaptation of Alice in Wonderland, but like it still pissed me off regardless. It always does. It's like, I think it's it might be the single most like hackneyed way to end a story in existence. Mm-hmm. It was all, a, it's all closely followed by everyone thinks you're safe, one last jump scare in a horror movie. That. <laughs> to be fair, the, the one time where I think that works really well is Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Where they're because, like, oh, we're all safe and every And Freddy Krueger just like, pulls the person <laughs> through the door. It's like, what? <sighs> but it's just like, god damn, it was all a dream. Fucking sucks. It's way worse it than really Deus Ex. At least Deus Ex Machina can be used in like, an interesting way. Yeah, and like another really, you know, we've talked about it already. Lord of the Rings, like people always say, the Eagles is a Deus Ex Machina, but it's like, but there is some level of like a tiny, tiny bit of a setup with the Eagles, like, yeah. and I think there's probably better explained in the books. But like, it when it's like there's one scene with Gandalf and he doesn't like explicitly mention that like you know, go save them at the end of the day. It's like it just feels like a Deus Ex Machina of like. What, where the fuck did the eagles come from? Well, and why could like, they not have just like flown in earlier? It says popular examples on Wikipedia include um, uh, the you know the great eagles in J.R. Tolkien's carrying um, uh, Frodo and Samwise out of Mordor has been criticised. Deus Ex Machina. There is the War of the Worlds. The Martians have been destroyed um, by bacteria suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere. You also have Avengers Endgame, where the writers. Christopher Marcus and Steve McFeely openly admitted the trying travel plot device in the film was the end result of them having written themselves into a corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have Oliver Twist, which is like you know another classic story where just right at the end it turns out that one of these characters is actually related to you, so you get to live happily ever after. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like. <laughs> just... It was all a fucking dream, and it's like you can bollocks. Like yeah, that at, at very least it wasn't all a dream. Like uh, you know, say what you want about Deus Ex Machina, the, the, it was always a dream. Always pissed me off way more because it feels so unearned. It annihilates like the entire story. It's yeah. just like fuck you. It never it, happened. It basically means the entire story is pointless. Yes. Yeah. Like, it just means like everything we've just like. I remember. I remember this because like it's and I don't. It's not Deus Ex Machina. It's not. It was all a dream, but it's like it's a it's a new thing where it's just mm. the ending, just fucking sucks. And it's just one of those things where you get to the end. <laughs> and I call it just the. <sighs> There's the no other is, word for it. There's just the. Do you know what? You just, you just realize I've just wasted two hours of my life. This ending is yeah. shit. That I'd uh, rather have a a like good idea with bad execution mm-hmm. and a bad ending than, like, something that was like, oh, this is a cool idea, and then it, it was all a dream, it didn't matter. Yeah. So I, uh, and I, I came up with this description of, like, the <sighs> ending. So, and I, it was inspired by the film Skyline. And do you remember the film Skyline? I don't think I've ever seen the movie Skyline. <laughs> so it is a film where 
aliens invade Los Angeles. Mm. And the very, very end of the film is they get dragged into the alien spaceship. And then you see the aliens are stealing people's brains. Mm. And one of the brains comes out, but it's a special brain. It's like the main character who's trying to protect his wife and his kids. Right. His wife, I think his wife has like, like his wife is pregnant or something. And you see his brain come out and his brain's red. And then his brain, oh, the brains get put into the robots that have been taking over the world. <gasps> but then his special brain gets put into the alien, like the alien robot body. And then suddenly it springs to life and starts protecting his wife. Film cuts to black. <laughs> I remember, and I remember, Lucas, the entire audience went, <sighs> because they realized the most interesting thing in the entire film just happened and it cuts to black. <laughs> so everything, like, not only, it's like the main character died, but then he comes back, but then just instant, complete deflation. Wow. That sounds like they just didn't have an ending to the movie. Nope. The other one I remember, and I forget the name of the film, but it was like one of those paranormal investigation movies. Like I think oh, mm. it might be about alien invasions. And I will look it up during the break. And I shit you not, the ending of the film, they didn't have money to film it. So the ending of the film is to find out what happened, because it's a found footage thing. Direct mm. you to a website, and that website shut down three months later. Oh, no. And that ending's on the DVD. <laughs> And I remember I watched it on DVD with my housemates, and we like comes up like to find out what happened. Like, it's just it's like not set like that in that words, but it's like you know that character died, and to find out what happened, like you know to see the rest of the footage, go to this site. And it we, we looked me. to it on our phones, and the site doesn't exist anymore. We just went. Ah. There's a couple of games I can't remember like an actual named example at the moment, but I remember there's a few times like well you know wanted to forget about the experience well, because the thing, it was yeah. that bad of like it, it but sums when up you're like, like playing a game and like sometimes there's been a game where it's like oh big boss battles about to happen and like you do like one attack and then it just like goes to, like a slideshow yes and like they didn't have money to like do the final fight or do like a big CGI cutscene. It's just like here's a slideshow with some voiceover and this is what happened at the end of the game and it's like okay okay at least that, that game, you know, the game still has the ending within the game and isn't a website that got taken down. Like, do you know what... Um, uh, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, so when we talk about stuff like this, the reason we don't remember is because we criticise a lot of movies and we talk about movies mm-hmm. that we don't like, but for the most part, the reason we usually criticise them is because there's a kernel of a good idea there. There's yeah, something yeah. about it that we like. like. We mentioned like Speed Racer, for example. But... The reason we can't remember these movies is because we we just we forgot them because we don't care. Mm-hmm. Like they have committed the, the cardinal sin of entertainment of being so forgettable. Like just we are not they are not entertaining even in a bad way. We've forgotten yeah. them. That's why, and I feel like that's one of those things where everyone can experience it. Of when you ask them, like I know that's a thing. I know I've seen movies where that, that happens, but I can't recall them because the, I was so annoyed by it, I actively purged it from my mind. Yeah, like, you actively want to forget about those experiences. Mm-hmm. It's like, as I say, like, I know that that's happened to me within games before, but, but you can't I recall. wanted to forget that experience of playing that game. So I can't recall them, but, like, I know that it's happened for sure. So I found it, Lucas. The film is The Devil Inside. And I'm just going to read just the last paragraph. This is a bonus wiki entry. 
Okay, go for it. So ben and Michael take us to the hospital. It doesn't matter what's going on here. Where Isabel slashes a nurse's throat. Ben comes to the realisation that Isabella is possessed. Ben and Michael leave with her in the car, heading to get help for an exorcism. Isabella tries to strangle Michael and breathes into his mouth. He instantly shows signs of possession, accelerating into oncoming traffic. The car collides, seemingly killing Ben and Michael in the process while Isabella is gone. A title card is then shown, informing that the case of the Rossi family is still unresolved and directing viewers to a website for more information. <laughs> and then that website just doesn't exist anymore. Nope. Wow. Because they, they didn't have the ability to make the last one, so they just said, fuck it. And Lucas, you could speak to us. You're a Destiny fan, right? Do you remember mm-hmm. like when you first boot up Destiny and you collect an item and it goes, to find out more, go to the Grimoire card on the website? Like, the fuck is this? Yeah, Destiny 1 of just like, every bit of world building is like on the website. Because they didn't put it into the base game. It's like, what do you mean? Like, to find out about these cool side stories, go... Like, do you want to find out about the lore and the world building that we've done? Go to a website rather than play our fucking game. Yeah, like the idea that any piece of media was as second one like Destiny did of direct you away from the thing you're playing. And obviously, like Destiny, current Destiny players will know that that has like been resolved within Destiny Two, and they've heard that feedback and stuff. But mm-hmm. the fact that yeah, your original like vanilla Destiny experience was. Go to a website and find out about our law. It's like, did you want to put any of it in the game? No, because it was. And that's yeah. And the thing is that there isn't a word. That's not Deus Ex Machina. That's not. It was our dream. That's an. That's a different third thing that I'm mm-hmm. choosing to believe that I have come up with a description for. And I'm going to name that trope the uh, ending. Just you sigh, <laughs> not because you just because. Just with the the realisation, you've wasted your time. And what Mm -hmm. you've just watched or consumed or played was completely fucking pointless. Yeah. You'd have been better sticking your... You'd have been better just sticking your thumb up your ass and sitting on it. Just zero payoff. Yeah. It's negative. I have lost lost something watching this movie. I lost my time. Yeah. And it's like... I will also say, you know, obviously there's people in the comments probably being like, amnesia's another trope. It's like, yes, it is another frustrating trope. Like... The character just, like, has amnesia, so therefore the whole thing needs to be explained to them so that mm. they can be a surrogate for the audience. But, like, you know, there's we were talking of, about... Like, there's a couple of tropes. There's plenty of frustrating movie tropes that we could go on and on and about. They could be, maybe that's, you know, a topic for another Wiki Weekends one day. We can go look mm-hmm. up, like, you know, common or often criticised filmmaking tropes. I'm sure that exists somewhere. But yeah, that's War of the yeah. Worlds and just a discussion about the devil inside. <laughs> Just like the last thing is just the. <sighs> it's such a so, good descriptor. Like, have you got just a, to wrap up for you. Well, I'm I was going to say just to wrap up your discussion about War of the Worlds. Then. Yes. Um, like, what? How many of the adaptations did you like check out after you've read it? I watched the Tom Cruise movie. I watched bits mm. of the show. So that's like because I couldn't find anywhere on streaming. So I had to like watch right, just yeah. clips that have been uploaded somewhere. Just feel like you know the climax. Not the climax. The 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 popular bits that everyone knows, like you know the 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 pods emerging, like you know the mm-hmm. war because in the Tom Cruise one, it's just they absolutely annihilate the army. Whereas in the um, the show, they have a chance. And something I like about the show that they is in the books that I wasn't familiar with. I remember it being a thing, but I don't remember how important it was. Is something called the Black Smoke, which is something the Martians do, where they basically just put this black smoke 
into like populated areas and he just fucking kills everything. Right, yeah. And again, you can just read that as a very, to me at least, it's very obvious like industrialization, like taking over a place, the black mm-hmm. smoke of industry just choking out and killing nature and everything that's alive. And the only way to escape it is to just leave the area. And I would, yeah, I was just going to say, like, would you... I also listen to, sorry, the um, Orson Welles as well. Oh, the Orson Welles one, yeah. Just yeah, while cool. I was getting ready for sleep at night, just listen to it. He's really I was going to say, it. just, uh, would you recommend, like, the novel over an adaptation, or would you recommend, like, an adaptation over the novel? I'm curious. I think I'd recommend both. I'd recommend, like, do, treating it as, like, a combined multimedia experience. Because the novel is no longer the novel. It does not exist in a vacuum. It has this, mm-hmm. there's this huge amount of cultural context that it has. So I would recommend, like, if you're going to read it, do it in parallel with, like I did, watching the movie. I'll watch the movie and then read the book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like 200 pages, I think, all in all. And the next yeah. one I'm doing is even shorter than that. I read it over the weekend when me and you hung out. Where I, oh, fair, yeah. Dr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde, 45 pages long. Oh, nice. It's 40. Yeah. And like, think about how many adaptations or how much has like Jekyll and Hyde been adapted. Mm-hmm. 40 pages. And it's one of the yep. singular, most like well known character or tropes. It's a trope, isn't it? Like, you know, just it the, is, yeah. the character with a sinister um, uh, alter ego. Mm-hmm. And it's 45 pages long. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those I was curious because a lot of the time, you know, people swear by like, don't watch like the adaptation of it. Read the book. Like the, the book. book is the only way to experience it. Or like sometimes people go, "Look, oh, the book's actually awful in comparison to the movie." That's not as common. Yeah, but it I, does I, happen sometimes. There's a couple. Um, a good example is Fight Club. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk thinks that the movie is the superior, quintessential version of his story. I was going to say Chuck Palahniuk being the author, right? The author of the original Fight Club novel. Yes, he believes that mm-hmm. the changes they made for the Fight Club film are su- make that version superior to his original novel. He's only his novel has value, similar to American Psycho, the Bret Easton one. Um, they, mm. Bret Easton doesn't think that the movie is superior, but they do think it is. It the the source material is elevated by the film and the performances therein. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been meaning to read American Psycho. I didn't read that in school, but I have been meaning to read that because apparently it's just really good. Yeah, I, I'd like to go and rewatch that movie because it's been like since I was a teenager that I've seen that one and obviously like even to this day it stays pretty relevant. Yeah. I want to read it as well because it's a comedy. I want to see how much but it wasn't read as a comedy initially. So I'd be curious mm-hmm. to see how obvious the comedy and the black comedy seems to me with the context of I know it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. But I think the next one on my list is uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray. That's my next one. So maybe next week we're going to be doing like uh, Jekyll and Hyde. I, uh, yeah, I remember having such a hard time trying to rent um, from a library the picture of Dorian Gray specifically. Mm-hmm. It was like one book that I got assigned to during like my A-levels. You just couldn't like, find it. I just couldn't find it anywhere. And I just, for some reason, every library around me, it was rented out. <laughs> and I was like, why? <laughs> How ironic, given like, the whole point about Dorian Gray. It's like, there's just this picture that exists that no one's allowed to see. It's like, the book that Lucas is not it allowed to see. me. Yeah, that's my next one. But yeah, I just found that fascinating. It's like 200 pages long, still relevant, still, you know, never been out of print. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll right. take a quick break and I'll be back with my wiki in a moment. So, Lucas, we have returned. And before we move on to your wiki for this week, we've got some housekeeping to do, haven't we? Because we like to um, just let the audience know that there's other places they can find us and our work. For myself, that will be uh, Top 10s, Geographics and Biographics when I'm the interim host. 
alongside Guy from Behind the Scenes, Eric McIntyre. I'm also um, uh, available on Twitch, where this Friday I'll be doing Carl's birthday stream. It's my birthday. I'll be turning 33, and none of my friends want to go out and hang out with me. So I'll be um, uh, streaming alone with a beer on Twitch. That's a lie. I'm seeing Lucas the next day. You're coming down, I right? I was like, I am traveling multiple hours to go on a night out for your birthday, Carl. Yes. Like, You're coming down on the Saturday. I'm seeing my family Saturday, on yeah. the Thursday. So Friday, my actual birthday, we'll be streaming live on Twitch. So you can join me in the links you'll find below. We much appreciate if you can come along. Otherwise, it's Carl's yes, Wood on Twitch. It is. Just Google Carl's Wood. Trust me, you'll find me. <laughs> just not even like Carl's Wood, Carl's Wood. Well, that's fine if I just Google. Google Carl's Wood. I want to do that and see what turns up. Let's have a look. Incognito tab. While you, so you, while you tell people, Lucas, we're going to put incognito tab Carl's Wood. Oh, God. I wonder what Carl's going to find. Make it two words as well. Yeah. Not one word. No, one, no make it one word. It's all one okay, word. Cool. Carl's Wood. Um, yeah, so for me, you can also find me over on Twitch. I am twitch.tv slash a legend of Canto. Again, links in description. And Carl, let us know what you found. <laughs> Welcome to Carl's Wood, home of the Irish Olympic medalist, coach, and international horse producer, Sian O'Connor. <laughs> so Carl's Wood is just the name of a horse stable in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, Carl's Wood Stables. Wow. And we've got okay. Norton's Fencing, a case study, Carl's Wood class. Uh, Carl's Wood, a world-class equestrian facility. And um, you've got a world of show jumping, craftyponies.com. So, I guess, so you know what? I guess don't, Go and... don't Google Carl's Wood, because you just get a bunch of shit about... Not shit, obviously... It's a, it's a, it's you a get equestrian thing. stuff that is not Carl, is oh what you'll God, find. Oh my God, my branding is terrible because it's, it's all this stuff, mate. It's all, <laughs> it's like, it's all you about need, You all need to go and follow Carl on Twitch if you are not already if and I make sure Twitch that he in, shows okay. up before like equestrian stuff. Okay, I want to Google Twitch. Okay, if you put Carl's Wood Twitch, it comes up with me and my Twitter account. Mm. And like Metal Gear and like stuff like that. But <laughs> I thought... There's no way there's something called Carl's Wood that exists. It's too stupid. And it's just an equestrian stable. The equestrians have that SEO, Carl. Probably so, better than I do. Oh, but yes. Um, if you go over to my Twitch, you can find me playing uh, currently Mass Effect on Mondays. Mass Effect Mondays. Um, doing Tunic Tuesdays, where I play Legend of Zelda games. And doing, um, you know, a bit of two things now, I guess, with my thunder badge thursdays over where we play pokemon because mm -hmm. i have decided after going to the uh the regional like vgc tournament in um liverpool for pokemon that mm -hmm. i'm going to start like aiming to train up some competitive pokemon for you're next in, right? year you're all in so i'm going to be doing some like nights where i train some competitive pokemon and do some battles with um like you know viewers online and stuff like that and other weeks where we do like a nuzlocke run or something along those lines Sounds good. But yeah, I'm all in on trying to make Chargeable work in VGC yeah, 2025. This is a lot easier because my a mutual friend is like, oh, play the card game with me, Carl. And I just went like, okay, because I've got a bunch of old Pokemon cards, but they're not legal. What? <laughs> yeah, there's like there's like 18 different fucking booster packs that are like, some of them are legal, some of them aren't. And it's like, oh, don't worry, there's a really simple way to check. There's like a tiny little letter at the bottom of every card. And if it's not this letter, it's not that. It's like... <laughs> So I'm going to have to go through like all 800 of my cards to see which ones are legal and which ones aren't. Great, thanks. So I guess that's a, that's my weekend. Not this weekend, that it's is. my birthday, but I guess that's a weekend that's coming up at some point. That'd be a fun stream, wouldn't it? Just 
Carl looking at the corner of every single Pokemon card. And really, it's like, uh, I guess I can't. I was fine. Oh, what did you read oh, this week, friend? So I brought something about video games for us Let's because go. at the moment, um, awesome games run quick is happening, and or either it's happening or it's just happened, and they are put on the archives out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But I just thought we could talk about games done quick, the event itself. Okay, that's. I thought you were going to talk about a specific game that you like seeing speed run, or just like games done quick as an event. That's 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 going to be interesting. Yeah, Gone from strength to strength, like he makes more money every single year. So I think to assume like Almost three million every year, I believe. Yeah, there's now two as well. You have summer games done quick and awesome games done quick. Mm-hmm. So that's to assume like probably like five million dollars in charitable donations every single year from people just playing video games very fast. Yeah, so we will go through uh, like how much money and like has been raised over the years a bit later. But to begin with, we'll just talk about the actual event. It's Games Done Quick, or GDQ, mm-hmm. is a semi-annual video game speedrun charity marathon held in the United States, and it was originally organized by the Speed Demos Archive and Speed Runs Live communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, since 2015, it has been handled by Games Done Quick LLC, held since 2010. The events have raised money for several charities, and I believe like the main place that they donate to is normally Doctors Without Borders. Doctors Without uh, Medicine, San Frontieras, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, it says here, uh, Awesome Games Done Quick held early January every year, and that raises money for the Prevent Cancer Foundation, and the Summer Games Done Quick, usually held in June or July every year, raises money for Doctors Without Borders. Mm -hmm. There's been other ones in the past, I think. I think they were like the American Community Association, but that could just be another similar event, because I know there's been a lot of spin-offs and people inspired by. The thing about this is to do a big gaming stream. They also just, like, throughout the year, post a lot of, like, mini themed things yes uh, where, you know like frame for towels and stuff which is um, like, yes uh, like female focused to like highlighting or then they do a lot of like further um, like uh, lgbtqia i always try to get the order wrong but yeah focusing on like people <laughs> the... um within those communities yeah they they try and boost a lot of people that are from like you know um different backgrounds and stuff like that and just make sure that like people are actually Watching people do speedruns of not just white straight dudes. I will say, yeah. There's a lot of white straight dudes like trying to do speedruns. I'll say one of the absolute saddest things I've ever seen is someone who was... Because obviously I just... Oh, AGDQ's happening. I'll Google AGDQ's what's going on. There was like a mirror, a site that was re-uploading AGDQ runs. And the only thing they did to change them is just put like a little black bar over the section below each person's name that said... Their preferred pronouns, and it's like no. it is the smallest dick energy thing I have ever seen. And that site, like, it's got scrubbed immediately, obviously. But just the of idea course, that but... someone just got so upset about the idea that this is how this person prefers to be referred to. It's like the the people who lost their mind over like Starfield saying like, "What are your pronouns?" It's like I don't have any. It's like, everyone has fucking pronouns. It's even funny if like AGDQ though. It's like you'll call this person like Jimmy Poopins, which is an actual name for a speedrunner. But you yeah. won't refer to them by their preferred pronouns. <laughs> yeah. So you will happily go into someone and call someone fucking like Grand Pooh Bear. Mm-hmm. But you won't use their Again, preferred pronouns. Again, a real streamer, like a, I've seen them do a lot of like Mario Maker runs and or stuff. Or Tomato Anus. <laughs> it's like, you call you'll some... happily, happily let them identify as Tomato Anus. You sit but there the and moment say that. they say like the, they've got pronouns, which everyone does, you'll just fucking lose your mind. It's, it's ridiculous, like, it's yes. But like I said, oh, smallest dear. dick energy thing I have ever seen. It is. It is indeed. And yeah, it does I think say, it's not um, smart is like 
maybe a fan of fact fiend, but I do remember the like years ago raiding one of my streams from a fact fiend oh, right. video. So if they're a fan of fact, they might be a fan of this. So hello. If if any speedrunners are out there watching, like let us know because yep. you know I have done some level of speedrunning. Like I am on um a speedruns dot com run for like re two Claire a run on console and it's like well, it's yeah. so like specific the minutia you, yeah. the minutia you get split up into like so many different runs but, but think about this way like how many fucking like swimming events are there are they freestyle mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. it cracks me like freestyle everyone swims the same way because there's just one way that's the <laughs> fastest way to swim and then there's like 15 other swimming events that are just like not as efficient as freestyle front crawl i want like someone to figure out how to do like the mario dolphin kick someone as like could. the best way it's one thing that cracks me up about like there's the freestyle swim and everyone swims the exact same way because it's just a salt <laughs> issue why do we still have the other swimming events mm. um so it says both events of like both the main events last for seven days and in addition to these gdq hosts several other broadcasts throughout the year including smaller marathons that support different charities yes uh, one-off events for special occasions and regular GDQ hotfix programming throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just one of those things of like keeping the brand and the YouTube channel alive throughout the year by doing a bunch of different things and also supporting a bunch of other different charities as well. Also, just leverage what is now a very popular, well-known brand within the spheres of technology and gaming. Mm-hmm. And I'll, again, I remember like one of the smallest Dick Energy things I ever saw was like there was this big... A video went kind of viral. Some guys like AGDQ exposed. Did you know? Did you know, Lucas, that the person who runs AGDQ takes a salary? I I can never get when it's like, okay, well, this person running a non-profit takes a salary, takes a wage. It's like, yeah. How else would they run? No, it's all volunteers. These things. Yeah, yeah, but like. How would this person pay for like a rent or food? Mm. They you expect them to have a full time job and then on top of that have a full time voluntary job yeah. to then organise all these things. I remember it's like something similar happened with Wikipedia where someone's like, Oh, Wikipedia's begging for money again. Did you know that the person who runs Wikipedia, like the SEO, uh, the CEO, gets seven hundred thousand dollars a year? And someone, you know what? They run literally one of the biggest, most important websites on the planet, and they uh that seems like a fair wage. Did you know I the mean, person who runs like Twitter paid pays himself like four hundred billion a year? Like, I mean, we can't exactly sit here and say that Wikipedia is not useful, as we We're have a Wik- channel based off reading Wikipedia. Well, like, someone's like to call out. Like, they're begging for they, their CEO earns like seven hundred thousand dollars a year, and said that's entirely reasonable. Like, you expect the person who runs the most popular, important website on the planet. You want someone who knows what the fuck they're doing. Literally, and a person who knows like what the fuck they're a, doing needs to be paid well. A free-to-use online encyclopedia with the knowledge in, of basically in every language every, on Earth. In everything. Yeah, in every language. And it's like, Jesus the Christ. The expertise required to run something like that is something that's possessed by only a handful of people on Earth. And most of those people are CEOs for other companies. <laughs> you need to, at the very least, be able to pay them a competitive wage in that field. And, you know, it's one of those things of, uh, fuck the amount of money CEOs are paid. Of course. And that's, that, like, that, you know, that's always the problem as well. Yeah. All CEOs are fucking overpaid. But, like, as you say, if you don't pay them a competitive wage within that 
job format of a CEO, why would they not just fuck off and go work for like Microsoft? Also, someone pointed out like, oh yeah, Joe, the CEO of like Dropbox earns fifty million dollars a year plus stock options. Yeah, and that's Dropbox. Yeah. That thing that you immediately take tell like you know your computer to not download <laughs> on second one. Yeah, um, but I remember that. Just do you know the guy who runs like? Do you know the guy who just... owns AGQ? Joe, you know, he takes a salary. And, uh, you mean, like, you mean wonder, like every charity on earth operates? Okay. Yeah. There is a controversy section. I wonder whether that turns up in the controversies. Probably, yeah. Um, the, so the events of uh, all the games and quick stuff are broadcast live on Twitch there. Mm-hmm. Viewers are encouraged to donate for incentives during the stream, such as selecting the file name or main character's name in a run having the runners attempt more difficult challenges and entering sweepstakes for the chance of winning prizes. Yeah. Also, just the fact that, like, you know, a lot of donations get read out and yep. they get to send, like, a unique message to are the you, runners and you telling get me the name shared out. That people are donating money because they want to get something out of it besides just the warm, fuzzy feeling of <laughs> donating the money. It's the that, best that way bit, to get people to donate. That seems a bit weird. Like, why is that a case? It's almost like you're going you're, you're to tell me next that like, some of the people who work for the company that, like, you know... Organize an event every year that makes five million dollars for charity, are compensated for their time and expertise. Mm-hmm. How dare they? It says here, as of June twenty twenty three, over forty six million dollars has been raised across forty three yep. marathons, and that's through more than eight hundred thirty five thousand separate donations from over two hundred sixty two thousand unique donors. It's like they've got off over a quarter of a million people to donate to charities where they otherwise probably wouldn't be. And that's the thing as well of, like, you can say, like, people always say whenever it comes to charity of, like, because uh, the problem is that there's things that money the what, like the Susan G. Komen Foundation for the Cure, they use a lot of their donations for suing other cancer charities, which fucking sucks. Yeah. But I guarantee you, like, you know, Medicine San Frontieres, I guarantee you that their CEO gets paid a wage. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. you know, they have, like, stuff earmarked for paying staff because you need for a charity to run effectively it needs to have people know what the fuck they're doing like you know in how much you think those people should be paid and what percentage of what the charity earns Mm -hmm. should be earmarked for that is something you can argue about that part is debatable but the fact that how dare they take a salary it's like fuck off it's like if they weren't working it's like if they the ultimately comes down to does that person being paid this amount of money earn more money overall for the charity. Does having, like, you know, a person in charge of this company or the, in charge of this charity with the expertise that they have, does paying them this wage, is it justifiable in the sense that they bring more in? It's like, you know, it's charities paying money same. for advertising. Well, advertising, fundraisers, yeah. stuff like that. Like, like they wouldn't hold fundraisers if inevitably they didn't make more money than they spent on the fundraisers. Un- unless the name is um, uh, The Completionist. <laughs> I mean, we're not getting into that bag of worms right now, Carl. You can go make a video about you know that what? yourself. I bet he's got a controversy section. <laughs> that's the thing, that's not for today's discussion, no. Carl. The thing, I'm is, not is, getting is, into is, that. Is it, it's a, does, like, does, does this charity spending... Like, so it matters, like, why do charities advertise? Do they spend millions mm-hmm. on advertising? It's like, well, they probably did, there's a graph somewhere that says we'll spend a million dollars advertising, but the awareness that it raises generates $2 million in... Things so yeah. it make the, like people need to know about the charities, yeah. right? Like you have to stand anyway. on the street and yell at people. Well, you could. <sighs> anyway, Carl. Yes. Anyway, we'll uh, move on 
The format of the event, speedrunners take turns demonstrating their prowess of beating various video games in the quickest possible time, mm -hmm. done in front of an audience as well as a live th stream through Twitch. Yes. Um, sometimes these runs may be executed in an unusual or specific way, such as fully completing every level, completing a game blindfolded, or featuring multiple runners racing against one another to complete a video game first. Mm -hmm. And also this year, for the very first time, a having a dog complete gyromite. Like, the fact that somebody trained their, their lovely dog, Peanut Butter, to, like, admittedly act like Rob the Robot, where you just, just hold a button. button. Then again... That's all playing a video game is. It's just pressing buttons in a certain order. Exactly. And, you know, I would recommend people go check it out because it's, like, just an adorable half hour of this dude, like, you know, getting their dog, Peanut Butter, a lovely little Sheba, I think it is, to just, like, hold buttons on this big touchpad to just, like, get some treats and play Gyromite. It's adorable, mm -hmm. and it's like I love the fact as well that he's like, no, we're gonna start training on other games. It's like make Peanut Butter just an annual, like you know, runner at Joker's the event. Good train this dog. Yeah, that's the it's, and that is interesting to watch. But although I think me and you are very similar in our approach to what kind of speedruns we like, of I like AGDQ runs in the sense I want to see someone who is just mastered the game's mechanics. I. If I see mm. someone play, for example, Mario, I want to see the best fucking Mario player in the world. I don't want to see mm -hmm. them glitch Mario out of bounds and float to the final boss. As impressive as that is, for me, I don't find that entertaining to watch. I think one of the ones that you've um, pointed out several times is Doom. Doom, where yes. Mu much of the Doom speedrun is just, I figured out how to get out of bounds and float to the end of the level. Which is impressive in a way, but as someone who is a fan of Doom... I don't want to see someone just glitch out of bounds and float to the final boss. I want to see someone who's good at playing Doom play Doom very, very well. And of course, someone's going to say, well, there are different versions of it, like there's glitchless runs and stuff like that, but I tend to try and watch those. I tend towards more ones where it's like, maybe not glitchless, but it's like a certain percentage has to be completed. Like, oh, do like a Zelda run where you have to do every temple. Like, you yep. can't just skip every temple in the game and get to the end. Like, Ocarina of Time lasts like 15 minutes that way, if not less. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. It's like, those runs are impressive once when it's like, just fly as quickly to Ganon and pick up, like, three mops on your way and kill them. And they can like, be, that's and, yeah. super impressive to watch one time, but then, yeah. They can be entertaining in a way as well. Like, you know, it depends how broken it is. Like, the Baldur's Gate 3 speed run, which is you kill a member of your party, put them in a barrel and throw them at the final boss. <laughs> and you complete the game in 30 minutes, like, less than 30 minutes. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's, there's loads of different ones where like some are interesting to watch for us some aren't and a lot of the time it comes down to as well who they've got as the runner and who the runner has as like their bench yes and there's um, some like it's, it's a very personality driven like um, subculture and mm -hmm. not all those personalities pers gel with my own personality so sometimes exactly, there's some yeah. ones i'd be interested in where just the personality doesn't really gel with my own so like, i don't want to watch this person for an hour or, you know, when there's certain situations where, like, the game is very technical and therefore the runner has to concentrate and not talk very much. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the people they bring along with them are not the best at explaining what's happening. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like a lot of the time that can, like, lose viewers in a speedrun watch because, like, all of a sudden I'm just watching something with very little commentary and not understanding what's happening. And that's the thing of, like, you know, there's probably people out there who think about our content. It's like, 
Mm-hmm. Can I can use myself as an example here because you mentioned you like you speed run like RE2. Um, I, I've learned, I've you know got a run on RE2 speedruns, and I've, I'm learning the RE4 speedrun as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, I play Metal Gear Vengeance every week, and a question I get asked a lot is, "Have you ever considered speedrunning the game?" Because you clearly like it a lot, and my answer is no, because mm-hmm. a speedrun of the game, which I looked up and actually had a couple of people who speedrun the game turn up in my streams because obviously they like the game. Oh, it's been played. Let's go check it out. Um, And speaking to them, the speed run for Metal Gear Revengeance is you don't really play the game. You skip Mm -hmm. as much combat as you can in a combat-heavy game. You skip every cutscene. When I'm doing the stream, I'm watching people do the cutscenes. And Mm -hmm. every combat encounter that you can't skip is you spam the strongest move over and over again. So the fluidity of the combat is something that's not really taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And just, I wouldn't find that very fun. And that feels antithetical to what the game's design is, similar to Devil May Cry. I remember watching a Devil May Cry speedrun where 90% of it is you it, like platforming, you get the ability that lets you fly, and you fly over every optional combat encounter, and every combat encounter you can't like <laughs> skip. You just do the same two moves over and over again because it, your style rank doesn't matter. The speed with which you complete the combat encounter does. Mm-hmm. So you spam the two strongest moves over again. And Devil May Cry is a combat-heavy, stylish character action game. That do- and then I remember like halfway through the speed run, the guy says, well, if you're a fan of Devil May Cry, you might consider checking out this speed run. It's like, why would I want to do this? I'm a fan of this series. So, But the speed run involves doing nothing that's fun. Well, fun to you at Fun least. to me, yes. And it's like, it's... Yeah. And just with video gaming having such broad appeal, like not everything about speed running appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is, like, you know, I, as we both said, like, we prefer ones where it's, like, relatively heavy on gameplay and skill in terms of, like, learning the in-depths of the mechanics of the mm-hmm. game and not, like, learning how to glitch out most of the gameplay. And it's, like, you know, for a lot of the time I find um, speedruns of a Resident Evil game, I can understand why people might not want to watch that because a lot of the time, rather than fighting anything, I'm running past things. Yep. And it's like, I get it, but to me, in terms of like playing a speedrun, A, they're quite short games. I can do that speedrun within like a couple of hours. So mm. the attention span required doesn't have to be like this massive commitment. It can just be like an easy couple of hours. And B, it's about learning like the roots. Yes, for it's me. Like, but also like mastery of the game's mechanics is critical. Mm-hmm. That's why I said like the Revengeance example of like I consider myself to be one of the, probably the best people in the world at that game. Like, I play on the hardest difficulty every single week, mm-hmm. but I do not claim to have like the mastery of the mechanics that would be required to speedrun it because they're just not fun. Like there's stuff like you'd very, have to do. Very different skill sets. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's they're similar but very different. Like learning, he said the. The critical learn the path, like the way you mm-hmm. run through a level to avoid every, like, you know, optional combat encounter. I don't know what they are, and I wouldn't care to learn them because the combat is what I'm playing the game for. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's the thing is, you know, I one day I would like to maybe um, submit myself for doing, like, a Resident Evil speedrun at one of these events, but, like, you know, I would probably need to learn how to do that speedrun while providing, like, actually entertaining. Um, observations Which is and also a thing, yes. commentary and stuff like that. So, like, that's part of the skill set required. And it's like, you know, it's a not a difficult skill. Like, once you've learned how to do it, but it is a skill. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, it's one of those of, obviously, 
I guess, with us both doing, like, you know, streaming on Twitch and stuff, like, that's something that we've, like, come accustomed to on other games, but, like, I haven't necessarily... When I, when I have mm-hmm. done a stream of, like, an RE2 speedrun like I have in the past, I've then been so focused on commentating that I've, like, missed little bits of my route here and there. Yeah. And that's... gone in the wrong direction every now and then. And it's like, yeah, you've got to co- combine those two mindsets. Now, I will say as well, it seems like a very difficult... Just the idea as well, like, if you fuck it up, you've got to start again. That would piss mm-hmm. me off. I don't think I could do that. Like, I'm happy to do... It's like, I'm happy to do it when it's me making that choice. Mm-hmm. One thing I found interesting was like, for my experience of just, I'm very new to the speedrunning world. Like, I've only ever really sat there and timed out my speedruns a handful of times. Remembering to press the button for when I hit an objective to do like a split. Yeah. The amount of times I've just forgotten I need to just like on my PC, I set up just press spacebar whenever you hit your split. Yeah. And the amount of times I've just like, Half an hour later, I've just forgotten to press it at all, and I'm like, oh, I have not got that yeah. muscle memory in yet. There's like certain things, like so there's some techniques that could be used that are useful. Like there's like a few glitches that I use in Revengeance during my playthroughs, just they're, they're fun to show off. Like it's that thing of like, mm-hmm. did you know if you did this, this happens? They're fun to show it's off. One of the things that I've done with a lot of uh, replays of Zelda games is like just is like utilize some of the glitches i have seen in speedruns to use them during a regular playthrough and see how you can fuck things up but you're not going to use them all the time i'm not going to use them all the time and i'm not going to use them for an actual speedrun but some of the cool glitches that i've found can be used like in useful situations or in interesting situations it's like you're not going to get me doing a speedrun of vengeance because that means i can't watch the armstrong cut scene at the end and get drunk (laughs) i'm not about that life lucas and yes, it says here some of the most popular runs feature video game glitches and discussion between the runner and the commentators, most frequently describing techniques or using observational humor or banter. And yes. I think that's one thing that rubs us the wrong way is that, like, it's what 20 something years in now, and like, there's so many times where the commentators or the runners rely on like inside jokes within the gdq community which again is a thing it's like it's and it's difficult to describe we'll try my best i'll, I'll try my best to do so because i think i know what you're on about here and it's um, obviously i said personality driven so a lot of the people who mm-hmm. go to these events have a very dedicated community that follows them who are excited to see them on a much bigger stage showcasing the very evident skill they have at this one particular thing the problem mm-hmm. is is that i'm going to stereotype a little here as someone who plays a lot of video games, that people who are that into video games tend to be a little bit antisocial. Or like, you know, not they don't have maybe not the best emotional um intelligence and for and, social you know, situations. As I someone would, who personally uh, I also do not have the best read on yeah. social situations. I'm and I'm speaking generally here. I was gonna say I am putting myself within that exact same yeah, pool of to people. Be clear. And just mm-hmm. sometimes you'll watch a speed run. Just sometimes, not all the time. Like I said, like, you know, not every speed run appeals to every person. Even someone like myself who's very into like video games and stuff. And just you watch one, and then you'll get like, oh, and you've got a donation from your member of chat here, and they'll just it'll just be an in joke that I don't get, and you'll see the person on the couch go, yeah, that's from my community, and it's like cool, but. Your community well, is like a fraction of the size of this one. Who the fuck is that for? 
Yeah, it's for a it's, very, very, very small amount of people. It's very alienating to the mass audience that is trying to watch this. And as somebody that doesn't watch all of games done quick or anything, a lot of the time it's like jokes that have been built up for games done quick audiences mm-hmm. over the years. And sometimes that can be alienating to someone who's a bit more of a casual watcher. Like, yep. I don't sit there and watch, like, the seven days of streams. Yep. And all of a sudden you've got people... Like, there's there's one example where, like, I, I'm aware of the joke of, like, oh, I fucked up, I'm manipulating RNG. Yep. And they're not. It's just that, oh, that's a joke that, like, people have made over and over again through the years of, like, when I make a mistake, it wasn't actually a mistake. It was intentional to it's become a manipulate itself. something in the back end that you don't understand. And also, as, like, as a streamer, like, you know, and I'm a content creator myself, there's just some things that I see, and I'm like, I just... It just it puts my teeth on edge, because it's something I just really don't like myself. And one of mm-hmm. those things is people acting overly familiar. Like, mm-hmm. for example, like, and they'll get something reading out of, like, oh, I'm a lover of your... Like, generic example. Oh, I love your streams. Like, you know your entire community is really proud of you. Like, I, that makes me feel, like, it makes me cringe. <laughs> it makes me cringe to think that it's like, some, like, because if someone talks to me, like, I, would, I would, it would set my teeth on edge, like I said. Hmm. Because like that, and that, like, it, to it's clarify, that parasocial that is relation. one person speaking in a parasocial way for an entire community. Yeah, I, I hate like, yeah. that. I hate when people, like, you know, one, assume to know me, and then take then get take that assumption to speak on behalf of other people. Like it happens with Fact Fiend all the time. Like as an as a fan of Fact Fiend, I feel like I speak for the audience. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. And so again, you speak for yourself. Yeah, but and again, I, I can understand why people do it. But it just for me, it's it's one of those I can't. It's oh, I cringe so hard when <laughs> like that happens. The ones I do like, though, that are the complete opposite of when it's like, oh, hi, um, you know, runner, runner 29. Yeah. Um, it's your mum here. Yeah. I'm so proud of you and I'm watching along. Like, <laughs> they're good always job. amazing. Yeah. Like, some of them are like, good, I love yeah. ones like that. that was a, yeah. I think it was a legendary one that obviously they, people try and reference it every year, but because it comes more family friendly, because obviously it makes more money. You want more advertisers. It's just mm-hmm. one of like a. Yeah, there's a couple of things that this speed reminds me of. Um, uh, you know, I got cancer and then I lost my virginity. Like, you know, both, <laughs> one of those things was awesome and happened quick. <laughs> the other one <laughs> sucked. God. Something like that. I don't know, I forget what it is. But also, there's also the legendary cringe moments from like mm-hmm. AGDQ. And again, again, speaking generally, just not everyone there has the best amount of emotional intelligence and social awareness. Like, there's the. That legend, I'd prefer if you were just quiet. Have you seen that one? No. Where it's like the guy on the, there's a guy on the couch who's like just he jumps in to commentate and like the the guy on to play the game just is not vibing with him at all. And the guy oh, in the right. keeps trying to make a lot of bad jokes. Mm-hmm. And just eventually just the guy playing the game goes, I'd prefer if you were quiet. There's also the chair sniffer, Christ. which wasn't a guy sniffing a chair, but like he went down to like tie his shoe or something. But it looks like he sniffs someone's chair <laughs> as they stand up. And again, it's like Oh no, the cringe! <laughs> oh dear, and I, I'm actually interested in reading about the history here quickly because I don't know like how this you know all started. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, writer and speedrunner Eric Koziel, I think, uh, identifies two important precursors to games done quick: but the Desert Bus for Hope donation drive yes. organized by Loading Ready Run in November 2007. And then a series of charity speedrun marathons by held by the Speed Gamers starting in March 2008. 
And you said that as if like you remember what the Desert Bus for Hope is. Well, Desert Bus is like an infamous game where it's like I think it's made by Pendulet, where it's like you drive a bus through the desert to get in real time, and it takes like six hours yeah. to do. And you when you or something like that, and when you complete it, you get a point. And once you've got um, and you you win the game by getting like five points. And it's just driving down the same stretch of road. And like it became a meme to speed run that game because you can't speed run it. Because it's just so, you drive for six hours. Like just get the basic description up, yeah. Yeah, I've just got the, the description of Penn and Teller's smoke and mirrors yes. game, one of which being a desert bus. The player drives a bus along a straight road between uh Tucson, Arizona and Las Vegas. That'd be Tucson. No Tucson or it's Tucson. Tucson, sorry. No. I you just read not aware, but yeah, thank you. Um, there are no other vehicles, and the scenery consists only of dead trees and bushes. It is literally just a dead, empty, straight road with nothing to do, but it always veers a little bit to the right, so you can never just leave the game to play itself. Yep. And, it, and it takes eight hours in real time, and the bus is always veering to the right. Yep. Also, I just had a knock on my door for a delivery, so would you give me one set to go get that? Yeah. So Carl's back yep. from just not picking up his delivery. Yes. But, uh, it's one of those. But yes, uh, I just checked there. Desert Bus for Hope is the world's long, longest-running internet-based fundraiser mm-hmm. and has raised more than $9 million for Child's Play over its 14-year history yep. where they just marathon Desert Bus. Over and over again, yeah. Because it's a joke, isn't it? It's like something incredibly mm-hmm. boring. And I think you have to complete it five times to win rights. You gotta go back and um, forth. It, it didn't say that on there. It said like when you complete one journey, you get a point. Yep. And you have the option to turn around and keep doing it. <laughs> and then um, it said like if you get stuck off the road, you get towed back in real time to the previous stop. Yep. And then it said that uh, in a planned competition, the highest scoring player would have joined Penn and Teller on a real trip from Tucson to Las Vegas in a party bus and a subsequent visit to the Rio Hotel and Casino. And I don't. It said, you know, in a planned competition. I don't know whether that competition, no. like, did or didn't go through or whatever, but yeah. It just became just, like a thing to just, oh, just play Desert Bus. Eight hours of real time of driving on a straight road. And then, yeah, uh, after that, users of the Speed Demos archive decided to hold a charity event in January 2010 during MAGFest 8. It was themed around uh, 8-bit and 16-bit video games and the stubbed classic games done quick. Yep. Um, after the speedrunning 1990s project Quake done quick, apparently. It's, um, it's, not, it's by no means an original idea. Let's see. But... Well, and then <laughs> internet connectivity problems at the MAGFest forced um, SDA administrator Mike Uyama to relocate the event to his mother's residence and it raised over $10,000 for care. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's how it all started, is just, well, Very we were doing a classic yeah. games done quick at MAGFest, and then we all had to relocate to my mum's house yeah. to get it's, some It's very um, grassroots. Like, it's a bit more it slick is, and yeah. corporate nowadays, which some people don't like. Like, we started like this entry on the Wiki Weekends podcast by talking about like, those people were annoyed that people take a salary, but mm-hmm. the end result is more money being raised. Yeah, that's and, like um, corporate um, veneer allows them to make more money. It's like literally from you know 2010 they made ten thousand dollars, 2011 fifty two thousand dollars, and 2012 one hundred forty nine thousand uh, dollars. 
448 the year after, and then they cracked a million in January 2014, where they hit a million and 31,000. And it's like from there, just gone on to get like, yeah, 1.5, 1.2. 2.2, 2. 2.2, 2.4. Yep. 2. So um, it's 3 million this year, I want to say. It got to, like, it got to 3. Not this year. Uh, this year was 2.539 million. Uh, the highest it's been was in 2022, uh, where it's $3.442 million. And that was just in the January event. And then, like, you know, uh, let's have a look. 2022, they also raised $3 million in summer as well. And it's like that's six million dollars in one year of twenty twenty two for a charity, yeah. For two charities, for two yeah. charities, yes. and then they also have all of the other additional marathons and runs and events throughout that they the do throughout the year. And now we raise so money, like, but raise awareness. They are awareness. literally, yep. They are raising awareness and millions of dollars every single year by just like doing some speed runs. And it's a great cause, and it's just like yeah. Um, I wonder if like. It says here under the the there's like multiple different controversies Ooh. here. Oh, tell me about the multiple different controversies. Ooh. I just saw the words Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Wait, what? No. At SGDQ 2022, okay. Uh, Speedrunner uh, Mechorosium admitted that he faked a run of MGS, uh, MGR Revengeance Blade Wolf DLC. Uh, the game was played remotely, unlike most of the other games at the event, and the DLC was a donation incentive. While the main game was played live by the, the speedrunner, the DLC was pre-recorded, and uh, viewers quickly noted discrepancies with the run, and they admitted to faking the run and were banned from future GEQ events. How about you go fuck yourself? That game's awesome! God damn it! <laughs> Sully in the good name of Metal Gear Rising Revenge. The controversy is the guy just didn't want to play the game. It's like, then why are you here? <laughs> You've got one job. It's like it was like that legendary speedrun where the guy's like, legendary for like the bad reasons, where it's like, oh, I'm a Halo speedrunner who just faked everything. And like mm-hmm. during like the legendary run, like he just fucks up and can't do it. So just <laughs> he drops the difficulty down. And I think wait, sometimes like at that point you're just playing Halo. Yeah. Like, you're just playing Halo and not very well. <laughs> Um, so it it looks like yeah, people have been banned for like multiple different things. Players and commenters being banned. Uh, stream, you know, sometimes with the stream chat having to be muted because of the things that the people have been saying. Mm-hmm. Um, GDQ has noted that they advise attendees to avoid topics of conversation that are polarizing or controversial in nature, as well as avoiding harassing other players. Um, so some attendees have been banned for making inappropriate comments. Again, not everybody has the um, uh, the greatest amount of uh, social and emotional awareness. Mm-hmm. I know there's like and one guy doesn't... who like rocked up wearing like a MAGA hat one year, and it's like really that's, that's one of them. Yeah, is like it's just that thing of like really like, um... you're doing it for a reason. It's that like you want attention. You're already literally on the world stage. How much more attention could you possibly get? So it says here the. Uh, private cinema bun was banned for uh, supposedly wearing a MAGA hat on stream, mm-hmm. uh, but the ban was revoked since it was not actually a MAGA hat. Um, but then GD- GDQ officials banned him again for supposedly unplugging a power strip cable during the event, and then Cyberdemon531 was also banned for owning the MAGA hat in the first place. It's just that thing of like, 
most charities and stuff will just have a blanket. If someone's like that, if someone's like that sounds heavy-handed. Most of them just have like outright things against political statements, especially when it's like we are just trying to be as inoffensive as possible because also, we are raising money for as charities yeah. as in- and as inclusive. Yeah, which you know the politics. We're not going to say which parties, but you know which one we mean. Like they're not exactly welcoming. Mm-hmm. Wearing a MAGA and, hat like, sends a very specific message of like, you know, the kind of audience you'd like to curate. And that audience whether, is not necessarily very friendly to um, people from certain backgrounds, shall we say. It's, like, it's one of those of whether you like agree with any of the, the like, bans or, you know, I guess politicizing by depoliticizing everything. I'm trying to make it as welcoming as possible and stuff. Like, the at the end of the day, just trying to be as, like, non-controversial as possible is a benefit because it's just making more money for charity that way. It's like, the more people that feel welcome to watch, the more people you are get. to donate. Yeah. So yeah, it's one of those of just like making any kind of like polarizing statements or wearing something like that that is, you know, intended to like be polarizing. The only reason to wear one is because you just want people to pay attention to it. It's just such a it's that it's it it's just something dickheads do. I don't know how else to word it. Like mm-hmm. I've never seen someone wearing one who's not a dickhead. And I include it, Donald Trump in that. <laughs> it's one of those of just like you know that that person took the hat to the event to try and to get, stir up some controversy. To get, it's to, the only it's to be done to get a reaction from people. Because mm-hmm. you are a fundamentally just uncreative and unlikable person who can only get affection, even negative, from like just being a dick. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, uh-huh. it fundamentally sends out a message that other people are not welcome at that event. It, it's an, it yeah. makes people feel unwelcome. Exactly, yeah. And it's just, you don't want that when the aim of the game is to just make money for fucking charity and yeah. get as many people donating as you want. It also, as well, distracts from the message. Because now, mm-hmm. the, and that's the thing, like, they always say, like, all oh, publicity is called publicity. The exception to that is usually with charity, because you don't want the conversation to be not about the charity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. But, yeah, just that was Games Done Quick, and, you know, I guess to round out the podcast, Carl, have you got, like, a favourite pod, uh, podcast? Have you got a favourite um, speedrun that you want to, like, you know, mention to people to go check out? Like, if the, people aren't really familiar with GDQ, like, a good one to recommend? I'd say the Super Metroid one. Because mm-hmm. it's just, it's a popular game. It's, like, one of the most popular speedruns that they do. It's usually what they use to bookend the show. A lot of the time. I think they've strayed away from it because, like, they try to, I think, normally um not do the exact same run every time mm. so like you know they find new ways to make it interesting like doing a metroid race at the end yep. and stuff like that and i think they might have just like ran out of different ways to show a <laughs> super metroid run at this point but i also think it's, like, it's a great example because mo most obviously there's glitched runs and stuff but i think a super metroid race is someone who's really fucking good at playing that game yes even when they are you um, know they're doing things the game didn't intend or you know the developers not expect it's still just ultimately someone who's really 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 good at this very old game mm-hmm. and i yeah i would say like um it might be quite interesting for people who 
on into speedruns to go watch like just one person completing like super metroid as quickly as possible or like if you're a bit more familiar go check out like one of the races because there's a lot going on on the races if you're not too familiar with speedruns but um yeah i just i find like as i mentioned earlier like going to watch a breath of wild speedrun <laughs> because the fact that they get to like they just figure out ways to just fling themselves across the map as quickly as possible which, at which is amusing is, yes it is funny yeah without the context though of having played the game or understanding at least the basics of what's happening it is just why are you watching this it's like when you're, like, yes. say, you watch like a Doom yeah. run, and you think, "Oh, Doom! I love Doom!" Like you know, running around shooting demons, and you watch the speed run, and ninety percent of it's a guy walking on invisible platforms in like mm-hmm. a glitch world. It's like this isn't as a fan of this game, this isn't appealing to me. That's the thing is, I think the Breath of Wild speed runs from a bit earlier on, from like twenty like eighteen maybe when they've had like a year to figure some stuff out. Yeah, but not everything is a bit more interesting because it's a lot less reliant on. I did like a shield hop into like the shrine to get underneath the shrine yeah. and go like if a glitch you know there's so many glitches available in breath of the wild now that people have essentially solved that game yeah. it's like it's actually more interesting to go watch one from like yeah as i say like 2017 or 18 where they've just about figured out how to get to ganon in half yeah. an hour it's just sort of very very good at the game and has a full complete comprehensive understanding of its mechanics and he's taken advantage of them rather than when like you watch one from now and it's like well i got this skew off this thing so then that sets me up to go i think do that and get ob out on that and then do this trick and this trick and this trick and you're like i think that's a a thing that always pisses me off you watch like the pokemon ones which sometimes can be fun we need to have this very specific seed of the game and if we can't we have to get this special save that i made i went well that's Mm -hmm. not really in this if it was me i'd make you turn it on and you've got to play what you get yeah okay play it like, and that's where, like, you know, different runs and different tastes yes. come into play and stuff. But yeah, like that level of minutia just feels like that's this is too. You're not playing Pokemon, and I you are playing this one very specific version of the game that exists only on your <laughs> save. Like, this is not representative of what someone at home could do. They have to play mm-hmm. your very specific like version of it. Yeah, but anyway, yes. you know, it's one of those that we could talk about this for a long time. But yeah, just wanted to get that out there of like, you know, a couple of maybe recommendations for people to go check out of like fun speed runs if you're unfamiliar with games done quick because it's a great event that does great work work for multiple charities and raises literally millions of dollars every year at this point for charity and yeah there's just been a bunch over this month going up on the games done quick channel um go check that out because yeah go just support a cool event that raises money for charity and does cool gaming things in the meantime yes cheers everybody and yeah let us know which wiki won this this week week, as always and just thank you for listening and i hope everyone has a lovely week perfect see everyone